Hey everyone, Seth here, co-host of the Photographer Mindset Podcast. And before we get into today's episode, I wanted to take a brief moment to mention the sponsor of today's podcast episode, and that's Roveboard Co. Roveboard Co. are the makers of some of the most unique and well-crafted inflatable and traditional stand-up paddleboards on the market. I've personally taken all of their boards out for a spin when I was doing some photography work for them and was very impressed with their level of stability, easeful glide through the water, and artistically styled designs. So if you're looking for a new way to explore the outdoors on the water, get more active and get closer to nature and wildlife, perhaps with your camera, then look no further than Roveboard Co. At Rove, they aim to promote living an active lifestyle to help create memorable experiences out on the water alone or with friends and to make it easier than ever to explore areas of nature that were maybe inaccessible to you before. Their inflatable boards are very portable, so you can take them virtually anywhere from your local river or lake to deep into untouched wilderness. Their boards, like I said, are available in five stunning styles that all boast high quality craftsmanship and design. Plus, we know that getting outside and enjoying nature should be as affordable and as accessible as possible, which is why we have a discount code for you listeners. Click the link in the episode description and use the code TPM10 upon checkout. That's code TPM10 upon checkout after you click the link in the episode description. As of right now, Roveboard Co. is proud to be serving customers within Canada with the ambition of bringing their stand-up paddleboards to market in the USA very soon, and maybe they already have, depending on when you're currently hearing this ad. So if you're an American listener, check to see if shipping is available to you. And of course, all of their boards ordered online come with free shipping. So if you love the outdoors like I know you do and want to explore even more, then grab yourself a stand-up paddleboard from Roveboard Co. today. I slept for my, my, um, my Garmin says I slept nine and a half hours last night after our weekend. As you're yawning, people can't see. <laughs> we, we promise we're always excited despite being fatigued, tired, overworked at times. We'll, we'll always show up here every week. Yes. I slept nine and a half hours, man. It was a crazy weekend. Of course, I'm talking about our workshop we just did at Warner's camp with, uh, there was six of us, including Aaron and I to, uh, two days right over yeah. the weekend and uh wow i think we all walked away with a awesome portfolio of both warner's camp places that was a nice little bonus we got to really add to our portfolio learn a lot from one another tons of great kodo paxi shots lifestyle mm-hmm. shots empty interior beautiful exterior it was a good weekend man it was good to see you as well we got to rock climb yeah we, uh, we crushed some sushi oh Went to Trader Joe's together. We're not together. We're not together, people. <laughs> We're like arguing about groceries. Put it back. We don't need it. Remember last year at Zion? <laughs> six peanut butters. <laughs> yeah. I made all my connecting flights on time. It was a good weekend, man. It was good to see you. It was good to um, yeah. you know, work together and with uh, our lovely attendees. Learned a lot from them. Um, yeah. Just wanted to chat about that we don't need to make the whole episode about that but that it went well and the next time we do one you should definitely come if you're listening and considering it yeah it was great i think i think speak for people i mean they've said it they had a great time and like you said you know we were working we we were shooting nonstop. um i think everyone got a lot of stuff uh i know i did i'm, I'm editing stuff and i'm like whoa like i have a this was going to take a while because there's a lot of good things i want to i want to do so 
yeah, it was it was great. It was good to see you too, and uh, I enjoyed Thursday. I enjoyed climbing with someone. It doesn't happen often. It's usually my mm-hmm. son, which is great. But uh, to you know, feel that sort of like peer pressure, camaraderie, competitiveness. It was good. I got my second V four in life. Yes, so you did. Maybe there's, maybe there's something to that. It's my fault. Yeah, you pushed me. <laughs> Third try. I said, we're not leaving this to you on your third try. I knew you would. I knew I you like, would. Can we get performance anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Sound to be set for performance anxiety. Uh, I thought it would be good just to do a quick one today. We've had a lot of uh, questions just in the DMs that I'd like to get mm-hmm. to from people who have written topics, either to me personally, you personally, or to the, the TPM, the Photographer Mindset Instagram page. You should follow that if you're not already. And uh, I thought we should just get to some of them and, and, uh, talk them out again there are opinions and uh just see what comes of it as conversation what do you think love it let's do it all right should i read handles too sure all right this one's from alfred jasmine e-l-f-r-i-e-d-e jasmine jasmine alfred jasmine i'm so sorry i butchered it uh potential topic Feeling like you're being held back with your equipment. I know we've done a couple episodes on when it's time to out, when you when you can recognize you've outgrown your equipment, but maybe we should really dig in deeper for a little bit. Recognizing when it's time to bite the bullet and invest in better quality gear to support your growth, but also trusting yourself to throw that large amount of money down when an opportunity presents itself. So I guess being confident in making the right decision financially. And this goes hand in hand with the second thing she's mentioned, the mindset behind the financial commitments necessary to level up your professional capacity. And what has your personal experience been over the years? Photography isn't cheap. Money invested in equipment and your rates are so untalked about and it's also impossible to identify the risk norm if there is one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep going. Or should we stop? It's a long message. Yeah. Let's hear I want to hear it in complete completion sure from here on out i feel like i'm dropping thousands if i want to reach the next environment i want to shoot in uh i know that i shot i know that i sometimes undercharge clients to land opportunities in order to grow my skills and portfolio while simultaneously suffering from imposter syndrome when i actually do get the job perhaps the two are linked Mm. but how are they linked okay cool a lot there yeah, I mean, we sort of talked about this this weekend. I think. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question, and I get it, and I think we all kind of feel it a little bit. Uh, you are right that photography equipment is expensive. There's, there's no way around that in a sense. The, the high quality stuff, you know, for every everyday citizens like ourselves, we got to pay for it. We're not going to, you know, no Nikon's not coming here and Sony to just give us cameras. So you, you got to invest in it. I think knowing that, you know, their photography for professionals, you get paid a good amount of money and that's part of the equation. I think they know that, you know, if you're, if you're using some high, if you've invested that much, you're probably either, you know, very wealthy and, and have exposable, uh, disposable income, or you're getting paid a good amount of money for those photos. And those cameras last, hopefully, a, a good amount of time, a long time. And I feel like they're, they're definitely marked up and there's a lot of technology that's in those and packed in those. So having said all that, what do you need to, you know, get the job done? That's a good question. I don't think you need the highest 
and most expensive piece of gear to do a really good job. If I took a photo with a Tamron lens and I took a photo with a Sony G Master, one is a third of the price. And I'm not sure how many people out of 100 would be able to tell what photo was what lens. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I would agree. so there's certain things that make a bigger difference. And there's certain things where you can save money without really exposing the fact that you might have cheaper equipment. Cheaper, not in a bad way, just less expensive. Mm-hmm. So I'll start there. You want to jump in? Yeah, I think a great episode to reference. I don't know how far along she is in the podcast, but a great episode I think is the Adam Capola episode. I mean, mm-hmm. to to his point, and you re-referenced this multiple times that in terms of speaking with your client, you know, asking them, well, what do you want to do? You want 10 photos that just get the message across, sort of? Or do you want a full... 10 minute feature, you know, feature film almost, or a 10 minute short film promotional video that has tons of paid actors and has <laughs> looks, has awesome 4k quality. That's a different set of gear. Do you want, I mean, I've, I've said it before. I've gotten by on iPhone photos sometimes when I'm in a pinch, especially the wide angle when I'm in a mm-hmm. room that I can't, that I can't uh, capture everything with a, the good lens. I just pull out the iPhone and do the the, the zoom, the wide angle. Yeah. And has anyone ever my, called you on it? Never. And my rates don't go down because of it. Mm-hmm. Because even in that, going from a just a regular kit lens to an iPhone, I know iPhone fourteen and Galaxies and all these smartphones now have crazy uh, cameras, but I'm working with iPhone 11 and the jump from that to any one of my lenses is a lot more than from a Sony G master to Tamron in your example. And I can still Mm -hmm. get by with it if I really need to. And I think Mm -hmm. that comes with confidence as well. And you know, I have a lot of confidence in my editing ability. I know when my editing can save me for lack of a better (laughs) Mm -hmm. phrase, but the point I'm trying to make is to yours that often the difference is very lacking. And I feel like, focusing so much on gear it's it's almost like a it's a crutch and a distraction from other areas you can work on yeah this is why i'm not necessarily as good this is why i'm not necessarily charging as much because my gear isn't the isn't as good as professionals and it's sort of a backwards way of thinking that was that was exactly my next point and in the question, the the mention of like, I, I really, even I'm, I feel like I'm taking off from my rates. I'm not charging the most. And once I get there, I still feel imposter syndrome. If I'm, if I heard that right, um, regardless, imposter syndrome's there anyways for charging. Uh, and I, I think that's all part of that equation. Like, oh, I don't have the best equipment, so I can't charge that much. And if I can't charge that much, I won't be rejected and I won't fail. And people won't yell at me for or be upset with my work uh, because I took a lot off of the bill. You know, so it's keeping potentially, this is a potential thing. I'm not Mm. saying this is for you, but for some people, or maybe like take a look and ask yourself. And I, I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. I'm just bringing up the potential that it's a way to keep you in a safe zone. Like, uh, well, I don't have to charge that much. So therefore they shouldn't take it that seriously. And I don't have to charge that much because I don't have the best equipment. 
And this keeps me in this safe spot where, well, they can't be too upset because I'm not really a professional. Like that sort of safe mindset. And again, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that that's exactly what's happening. It is probably a comfortable spot. And putting out thousands of dollars for more expensive equipment uh, that might, you know, perform in a better way for sure. I think some of the camera bodies are insanely fast and good and the autofocus, like, you know, in my switch, I'm, I'm not missing shots that I would miss all the time, you know? And if, if that were a paid situation, it, it'd be the difference between success and failure. So having said that it's been completely worth it. So yeah, I think that's, those are things to keep in mind. And, uh, your rates haven't gone down since you switched to Sony, have they? No, they haven't gone down. <laughs> or, or, or gone up, really. Right. <laughs> but it is part, it, it, it does hold you accountable in the sense that, okay, you have to pay off the Sony or you, you paid a big chunk of the Sony or whatever it is. Like you're, you're paying it and it might become less of like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll do that for free or I'll build up my portfolio. Like that stage maybe is over because you're like, I'm investing in this stuff. I'm no more deals for a little bit. Let me pay this off and not in a bad way, but just like taking it seriously and for what it's worth. I think everyone would take advantage of like a good deal. If you went into a store and you wanted a, an iMac, you know, and you went into the Apple store and they're like, yeah. I feel bad that it's so expensive. I'll give you, I'll give you 50% off. No one's going to be like, no, nah, I'd rather pay full. Like that's what it's for. Like everyone's going to be like, great. Doesn't matter how rich you are or anything. Like they're going to take mm-hmm. the deal. Um, so I think being able to step behind yourself and say, and confidently be like, no, this is what it costs. This gear is very expensive. Um, and like, that's what it is. I think also when you, do level up with gear. I like the idea of adding pressure to yourself and adding pressure to situations. I mean, it goes, it goes to your point of if I have a, a standard body and a kit lens, I'm not a pro, so I don't need to charge pro rates. And you can kind of get bogged down in that comfort bubble. I'm not saying you need to have a great body and lens to get out of the comfort bubble, but I'm saying when you do really invest in something, and you've thought about the decision, it adds a new pressure to execute. And I think that's a good thing. I think to the very start, I think I I said performance anxiety talking about the cabin gig this Mm -hmm. weekend. I think, uh, I think pressure is power. I mean, to even use the example of this, this weekend, we had people fly two people fly out, Mm -hmm. right? We had someone drive eight hours, one one each direction. Mm-hmm. to come to this workshop that we organized. And that's a whole different pressure compared to people driving from half hour away. Yeah, There's almost this, people have really put an investment in their time and money into this, come from far away. I need to do the best job that I possibly can for them, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm using this as an example because leveling up in your camera could be the same thing within yourself. I've spent all this money. I've worked, I've worked really hard and I've spent my money on this camera. 
it's go mm-hmm. time. I need to find a way to pay it off. Like you said, I need to find a way to charge what I'm, I feel I'm worth and not offer those deals. It's an added pressure that I think is a good thing if you can see it that way. We'd like to take a brief moment and mention one of our sponsors, Tamron, and their Mother's Day sale that is going on right now. Gift that special mom in your life or treat yourself and save up to $300 on select Tamron lenses for your mirrorless or DSLR camera. Choose from one of Tamron's versatile all-in-one zooms, an award-winning fast standard wide or tele-zoom, an ultra telephoto zoom, or an ultra wide zoom. Find a lens that's perfect for your Sony, Fujifilm, or Nikon Z mirrorless camera, or for your Canon or Nikon DSLR today. So hurry, the savings won't last long. May 1st through to May 28th only. Yeah, I mean, I have a couple of thoughts as well with expensive stuff and how it works for my psyche. Because um, I tend to like to buy nice things and there's a reason why. F- for that reason, th- I'm going to use a different example. Um when anyone's getting into guitar and they say, what's a good beginning guitar? I always up what they're thinking in terms of budget for a couple of reasons. One, the investment, like Seth just said, is going to, oh, I, I spent a lot on this. Like, I really do want to practice every day and, and I'm going to try to learn. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like, what a waste of money. Uh, number two, the more expensive the thing that you get, it probably is reputable. And therefore, the resale value is going to be much better. Now, if things go bad, to if I bought a really nice acoustic Martin guitar and sold it in three years, the value might even go up if I treated it well based on the price of guitars and, and woodworking and all that stuff. Um, it does not lose a lot of value. If I bought a $200 like beginner guitar, I don't think I'm going to get anything for it. Now, on top of that, if I bought a $200 guitar, it's not as comfortable and won't play as well. And it's going to discourage me from continuing that craft. Mm. It will also, a best case scenario is I outgrow it. And now I buy a $2,000 guitar, just as the example, and I've spent $2,200 instead of spending 1400 or so right off the bat and really enjoying the instrument for a long, long time. So I think there's some like, you know, if, if you buy sort of close to the top end uh, of things, you know, okay, this is, this is going to be user error, not the, not the equipment. It's good. It's great. It's great. Like anything that's going wrong, I have to figure out the menu. I have to figure out, photography, composition, editing, whatever it is, it's not the camera. I think that's an important part as well. I remember being obsessed with golf and I got fit. Finally, eventually I got fit and fit for all my clubs, shafts, heads, everything dialed in, in my entire swing, uh, knew every distance for every club in the bag, like everything was dialed in. And I spent a good amount of money to get to that point with, you know, all the clubs, all the club head speed, all, all everything. And the point for me was I didn't want, I wanted to know when my swing was off and I was playing poorly versus wondering what variable mm-hmm. was messing me up. Oh, maybe, 
this ball is cheaper. Like I shouldn't have used that today. Uh, I need to go buy some other, you know, Titleist this or Encore that. Like right. need to go do this. Uh, oh, you know, that club was a hand-me-down from my dad's. It probably doesn't fit me. That's why I'm slicing it all day. It was way too easy to blame stuff on the equipment. When I had top of the line, top of the line equipment, all that sort of blame was like, well, there's, there's no, there's not a lot of room to get better stuff. You're, you're, you're maximize your swing. You maximize ball flight. You maximize your, your spin ratio, everything. I'm talking crazy stuff with golf, but it alleviated the excuses and it put it all on me. So with camera equipment, let's bring it back to that. There, there is a point, there's like this bell curve where you can spend $3,000 on a camera or what's that, what's that hundred megapixel camera that, um, phase that one. Yeah. How much are those? A hundred grand? Sixty uh, grand? Keep talking. Let's I'll look. look. We'll look it up. So there's cameras that you can spend probably fifty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars on, uh, in terms, especially video cameras. Fifty-seven thousand. Fifty-seven thousand. So you can spend that, and you can spend, or you could spend two thousand, or three thousand, or four thousand, and it, you would be hard pressed to see real, real differences for most uses, most uses. So there's this bell curve. There's a lot of cheap equipment. And then there's this area where things are really good and professionals can use it and get by and do. And then there's this top of the line stuff that most people can't afford, but you're going to start to get diminished returns. Mm -hmm. You're spending tons and tons of money, but it's not making you the best photographer in the world. Uh, it, it doesn't do that much more. There's subtlety things that maybe great professionals will notice and appreciate, but beyond that, it's a lot of like money, money gone. Yeah. I also think that you can appreciate those nuanced improvements until you've really, really spent some time with different tiered cameras. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think we've said it, I've said it multiple times. When I buy new, better stuff, it's because I've outgrown it and I know confidently I've outgrown it. Mm-hmm. Where I'm trying to do something creatively where my camera is physically unable to. And if I find myself consistently wanting to do that thing, then I know it's time to level up. Right. Yeah. I think that's an easy decision. I think in one of her paragraphs here where she's struggling is I'm dropping thousands if I want to reach the next level. I want to shoot in for a side hustle that provides moderate to low income, which I think in the next paragraph, she admits that she feels she undercharges. So I think those two are definitely linked. It doesn't have to be that way, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Start, start and, and feel free to write us again and, and be more specific with like what gear you have and what gear you're looking at and what you're thinking of charging we don't mind helping you out. We also have one-on-one sessions and maybe for a small fee, you know, you can spend an hour with us uh, and really go over a lot of this stuff, which may save you hundreds, if not thousands in the future. So keep that in mind. And anyone else listening that has questions like these also, when there's a, when there's an equipment upgrade that I want in my mind, I start to rationalize certain jobs and I say like, okay, if I, if I get that job and I get that, side hustle money, I'm going to put it towards that. I'm going to reinvest into that. So I feel more confident. 
Confidence, I think Seth said earlier, I think is a big thing too. If you're going into a gig, say you get that big gig, mm-hmm. you know, say someone wants to or is willing or offers to pay a, a ton of money and you've been sitting on this concept for months of like, I don't have good enough equipment to play in the in the big leagues. And now you have to go into this gig and you're scrambling or trying to learn new equipment because you bought it, you know, now you buy it like last second or you're using your old stuff, which you know is going to hold you back. Your confidence level can't be good in that situation. So I think start, you know, fake it till you, you make it in a sense, Mm -hmm. like start acting like you deserve, you know, what you feel like you did deserve, uh, whatever that may be. Uh, I have not seen the work, so I I don't know what that may be, but you are saying in your mind, you are undercharging. So you're devaluing at least what you feel your value is. And that's an important first step. Um, and that may make this whole equation make more sense. If I'm getting Mm -hmm. what I feel like I am worth, then it makes sense. Right. I think this gets, uh, this whole, this whole concept of what do I charge? And I don't know what to charge. It's such a convoluted topic, I think. And I think there's so, there's too much advice on it. So I don't really want to contribute it to that, to that too much. My opinion is you charge what you think your time for this is worth. So, I mean, if you're charging $300 for 10 photos and you're psyched on that, whatever, you can probably get a lot more. <laughs> but if that's what you value your time at, that's what you value your time at. To me, my headspace goes to, I know how much time goes into 10 photos. I know how much time goes into editing, how much time goes into planning, what I paid for my gear. My opportunity cost of what, that t- what that's going to take me to do is not worth just not doing it because I can make better opportunities for myself elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, if that ten fo- if those ten photos are a thousand dollars, if I don't do this gig, can I create a thousand dollars of value for myself with that time? Mm-hmm. I haven't. Cre- it's still the same amount of editing, same amount of you know storyboarding or whatever, same amount of time shooting. But now it's a thousand. I don't think that I could go if I were to not do this job. I can. I'll have a thousand dollars worth of time value to go do something else. So I'll do that job. And that's so subjective just to what you think your time is worth. And it's going to change for everyone. So I think that's a very simple way of thinking about it. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, Matt, I mean, that is the bottom line really, especially with you're saying side hustle. So I'm in that same boat where it's side hustle. That means you have probably a, a main job, um, your day job, if you will. So the rest of your time is like free time. And is it fun? Is it worth your time, your free time uh, to go do certain gigs? And are you not taking it as serious? Because I feel like I fall into this sometimes where it's like, I have a main job. Sure, I'll go shoot for free. Sure, I'll go do that favor. Sure, I'll take a photo of everyone at Yosemite National Park. Uh, a kid, but you know, maybe, maybe you need to treat it as like, you know what, for the next six months, I'm going to treat this as a business. And this, this is what I charge. Take it or leave it. 
I will look for other clients. I will, I'll hustle a little bit. I'll see what I can do and maybe reevaluate. And I, I guess that's kind of the question, like how far, how far do you want to take it? Are you having fun with your camera? Is it really holding you back? Do you hate editing? Cause it looks gross. Like, is it too pixelated? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, like, are you having fun or, or is it like, Oh, I'd be better if I had better stuff. Potentially. I don't, again, I don't know the gap between your equipment or what you're looking at uh, in certain aspects, but you know, I spent a lot more money on a Sony than where I was with a Nikon. And really what it offered me was much, much better autofocus. You know, like the picture quality is great. So is Nikon's. That's not the problem. The autofocus was very different. Is it worth all that money? Nah, it's hard. It's hard to like swallow that. Like for really one major, major feature, that was the investment. However, on a gig where I'm getting paid and things are in motion and moving and sometimes you can't afford to be like, let's redo that shot a hundred times so you can get the focus versus like get it on that first one and know it's going to snap and know it's going to get to it and move on. You know, so again, back to time, back to just efficiency and running a business as good as you can. I think even aside from whether that one feature of improved autofocus would make you money, just put that aside. I think even the the few thousand dollar difference you spent to avoid frustration, to avoid questioning yourself every time you go out in the field, that's worth a lot. Yeah. I mean, imagine going out every single time wondering, wondering whether or not your camera is going to hold up, <laughs> right? Absolutely. You would be, you would slow, your confidence would slowly get chipped away at. Right. I've all, I already, just in wildlife, like my passion, I already have photos of birds flying at me that are like, that are near perfect that I would never, ever get before. Like there's still, there's still photos that haunt me uh, that I've missed. Like I've come home so psyched and it's out of focus and it's like, mm-hmm. like I still think about that juvenile eagle uh, eating the pike in the river and that was like taking off you know, ready to fly away with it and how it was, I was so happy. The light was perfect and then get home and it's blurry. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even a hard shot. And it's like, come on, man. I've been there. And then you're like, do I suck? (laughs) Do I I suck? Yeah. And and it's like, I've been hitting these before. Yeah. Then, then you upgrade and then it's like way easier. And you're like, oh, wow. That's nice. Okay. What are your thoughts on, um, so the last paragraph, I know I undercharge clients to land opportunities in order to grow my skills and portfolio. I'm of the mind of you get to, you can get to a point very quickly where your portfolio is enough, right? Even with cabins, do two or three free ones. And then how many more do you need? Yeah. Yeah. I like your stance on that. Unless you like, there's a, you you want to trade your time and effort for a product like you don't want to pay for it and you want to use it and you want to have it or whatever and you decide that this is a good barter sure but i was thinking mm-hmm. today like i could set up a cabin shoot in my own home in different corners of the house and and really make a portfolio with my own house you know in terms of 
a skill set. You don't have to go to the best cabin. It helps, it, you know, to be able to name drop. But the skill set you can you can create and and grow in many different ways. If you have a friend, an aunt, an uncle, like whomever, like oh, you have a really cool house or cabin or or shed that you you do woodworking. Like, let me get out there and and try things. I mm-hmm. think. I look at it this way. If if you had 10 gigs on the table and you charge what is worth, let's say you lose six of them. You, you, $100 is what you think is your worth, just for the math's sake. You have 10 gigs, you charge them all $100. Six say, no way, that's too expensive. Four say, sure. You just netted $400. Now, of those 10 gigs, you say like, all right, uh, I'm going to do it for 50%, 50 bucks each. Now, maybe you get one more, five or even six. Let's say six, you know, get get excited about it. Like, oh, what a great, great deal. So six times, you, you made $300 now. Okay. Mm. So you had more you're, but made less. Yeah. You're, but you feel less rejected, which is the psychology of it. Right. And you, sure, you built up your portfolio, but you also spent a ton more time mm-hmm. versus the four that worked for the price that you did. What was your pitch? How did it work? Why did it work? Were they pleased? Could you charge more? The more you charge, like real photography groups do a couple of gigs a year but they're huge and they're involved and they take a long time and they're expensive, kind of like the equipment, kind of like a couch. Because when you buy a couch, you're not going to buy a couch for a very long time. And they know that. So couches are way marked up compared to what they cost to build because it's a one-time sort of long-lasting purchase. And if you think that way with your equipment and charging for gigs, might get less gigs, but at a better price, which will then save you time where you can ask more people for gigs. Mm-hmm. If you're working six gigs for 50%, no you're not having the time to, you're editing a ton. You're, you know, f- fulfilling complaints or mistakes or like, it takes a long time to do these things. So time is money. Mm-hmm. That's actually, I think, maybe the the theme here. It all comes back to creating space for you to improve, creating space for you to ask, you know, a hundred people and show them your work. And maybe you hope to get 10 of them, but you're doing mm-hmm. it at the right price. The asking's the easy part. You could go through your house and be like, oh, Road, that's cool. Uh, oh, Polar Pro, that's cool. Tamron, that's cool. Um, what's this backpack company? That's cool. I'm going to write those four people tomorrow. Yeah. I think, uh, to, and to your nice, quick and dirty little equation there, I think you can dial that in just like your golf clubs. I mean, if you can, you used a hundred dollars, right? As your arbitrary number, let's say, uh, you're able to do, you charge 400 and two say yes. Mm-hmm. And eight of the eight people rejected you. Eight businesses rejected you. Yeah. Now your now your net is even more. 
So I think what it comes down to is, and maybe this is a good self-awareness exercise or a good, good question to ask yourself is, am I, is, does people saying no to me really hurt my ego so much so that it holds me back? Mm. And I feel like also if you're someone who struggles to say no to things and people directly, right? We all, mm-hmm. you know, we all struggle with that from time to time. Telling people no is hard. I yep. think more so though, if we're one of those individuals where it's really hard to let people down by saying no, I think we're also more prone to it from the other angle, being told no. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so maybe there's a, there's a mindset exercise there to be okay with saying no. Maybe he has a, maybe as an exercise, charge something outrageous. I mean, company that there's, you're not going to fall short of companies. There's a million new companies every day. Charge a few an astronomical absurd amount <laughs> and just yeah. get told no 50 times. And uh, Seth, a further point for this equation is of the six companies that are willing to bite on a very discounted price versus the four, I think was my example, the four that are paying full price. Mm-hmm. You're going to build a portfolio filled with serious people that want serious stuff that are probably a serious company, which then make you look better. With real budgets. With real budgets. So again, not being, not having to do the six half price ones uh, where, you know, people are penny pinching and getting annoyed at, you know, you, you said 15, you gave me 18. I was hoping for 30. Like they, they just, they have all your raws too, like all that stuff. You get rid of that. You know, you, you get into the realm of professionality and that creates again, more time, less back and forth. It's more professional. It's better clients. You're doing less work in total and giving yourself the ability to then reach out way more to way more people. Yeah. And back to our point of pressure is power. Find a way to, to use that pressure as fuel, right? When you do get that, that large bill, right? That large, Mm -hmm. that ability to charge more. Use it as power as opposed to anxiety. I don't really know. I I wish I had a more, I don't, but I don't think there is a, a a step-by-step laid out formula for that. I just think you got to step up and execute and find a way. Deep breaths. If you have to, you're there because that's what they think you're worth. And that's to imposter syndrome, right? Uh I feel like if you're shaking in your boots after being paid that amount, to the point where you're unable to execute, that's a problem. There's some serious confidence issues there. There's a difference between there's a difference between performance anxiety and crippling anxiety where you're unable to function. You know, like for everyone, anyone who's ever played sports, right? Like that first shift or the first leading up to the game, you're nervous because you care and you want to do well. You really want to perform well. Mm-hmm as opposed to not even being able to take the field or focus. Those are two very different things. And uh, I think it's important that we learn to really hone in on the the first one. 
Yeah, for sure. So don't let equipment hold you back, I think is, you know, one of the main themes here. It kind of reminds me of um, everyone waits for like, I'll start running after the holidays. Like they start talking about that in November, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like after just run in November, just start and maybe take a break on a holiday, but keep going. And then when you start after the holidays, you'll be ahead of the game. It, it's kind of like a, I'm like, I'm going to build in this sort of delay from stepping into discomfort. And I think successful people, however you want to, describe success are able to step into discomfort a lot you know whether it's spending you know pushing their wallet and buying something nice that's going to help their business or they mm-hmm. believe it will and like it is a risk of course because now you have this piece of equipment um but t- being able to like take the oh this doesn't feel good charging that credit card you know for this piece of equipment I hope I can pay it back like that's scary but it also might motivate you to really take a look at your client list and start to you know get away from I think Adam talked about like the tier one tier two and tier three clients. And wanting he to wants move tier away. ones, right? Yeah, wanting to move away from tier two and tier three. Uh, tier two, sure. Tier three, not anymore. And tier one, I want, I want more of those, but less clients overall because they're bigger clients that respect his work. Um, so I think maybe that's something to kind of look at as well. Mm-hmm. Not financial advice, by the way. <laughs> no, not financial <laughs> advice. Um, no, yeah, I hundred percent agree with you. There's chances to step into discomfort every way and there's no way to do it other than, other than to do it. This episode of the photographer mindset podcast is sponsored by Encore Golf, an American company. Encore Golf is committed to providing customers with the best golf balls in the game, period. With patented technology, Encore Golf has become the first company to create perimeter-weighted balls, leading to straighter and more accurate shots, outperforming other top-tier tour balls. There's a perfect kind of Encore Golf ball for any player of any skill set. The signature Vero X1 and new Vero X2 are cherished and trusted by several past and present tour players, such as Gary Player and Eric Compton. Aside from improving your score on the course, Encore Golf supports several local charities, including the John R. O'Shai Children's Hospital in Buffalo, New York. They're focused on contributing to veterans programs and initiating golf tours that emphasize inclusivity and diversity. Aaron and I love supporting companies on a mission to provide maximum value to customers, but that also remember the importance of giving back to the community when they can. Click the link in the episode description to visit their website where you can check out and purchase top performing golf balls and other accessories like gloves, club heads, bags, and apparel. Sign up for Club Encore and receive special pricing, free shipping, customization, and more. Speaking of running, I have my first half marathon race, Aaron. Oh, wow. Sunday? Yeah, it's this Sunday. So two days after this comes out. Oh, man. Let's see. I've run two so far. I think I told you. Just in yeah. practice. That's great. I'm proud we'll of see you. see how it goes. I'm going to be so nervous. Again, I'm going to yeah. be so nervous. So nervous. But I'm, I'm going to, I know that at this point, I've really tried to, I'm always trying to practice turning that nervous, nervousness into excitement energy, exciting energy, right? Yeah. What time is the race in the morning? 
8.30 a.m. Yeah. That's interesting. Like the timing of it and like, do you, you acclimate know, your runs towards, like, do you start running at 8.30? See how, you know. Um, uh, No, I run at like all times a day. So like sometimes I'm up at 5.30. Other times it's like an evening run. Mm-hmm. But rain or shine, right? Because it could rain on the day. Right. This whole, yeah, like the, <laughs> this whole, uh, Oh, it's raining outside. I don't want to, I don't want to go. Well, it could be on the day when you have no choice. <laughs> so yeah. I'd like to fall back on good training. Right. Um, yeah. but I'm excited. You know, what's funny is, uh, and then we'll get off running. We have another question. I'm not worried about my athletic ability to finish or to get the time I want. At least very little. I'm more worried about, did I drink this coffee too close to the race? Did I have enough water? Did I get enough sleep? Did I put the right fuel in my body? All things I can control, but that are not as controllable as just moving my legs fast, right? <laughs> yeah. Like so, the, I used the bathroom appropriately this morning. That would yeah. be my concern. <laughs> yeah. Did I use the bathroom appropriately? I'm literally timing my waters Yeah, Jeez. to the minute and, yeah. and liter or gallon. Yeah. Well, yeah. God bless. I hope you do well. I hope so too. <laughs> okay, so moving on. Moving on. One last question. This one's probably going to be a quick one. Yeah. Uh, from Dustin Glazeman, handle um, Dusty underscore unknown. Thanks for the question. Dustin, it is. Hello. I was wondering if you ever had a discussion about signing prints. And what the pros and cons are. Thanks for doing mm. what you do. Appreciate your work. Well, thank you, Dustin. Um, follow up, scroll down a little bit. I said we would talk about this on an episode. He says, I recently pulled my Instagram followers and the vast majority don't ever sign their work. I wonder how much of that is artistic expression versus creative insecurities. So in other words, I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. Why would I sign my work? And or I'm not as big as Peter Lick or... Peter McKinnon. So who am I to be signing limited editions and stuff? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I honestly you sign don't, your work. You uh, don't do you? Yeah, um, here's, here's my stance on it. If I remember to sign my work <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, I got to ship this out or blah, blah, blah. First of all, I don't, I don't really push print sales much at all. Um, mm. Sometimes they happen um, occasionally, but it's not something I, I truly do promote. Um, but the few occasions that someone has asked for something, if I remember, I usually print things on metal. So on the back, there's metal. Depending who, I try to do something personalized for the person, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and write a little thing i got a whole set of paint pens permanent paint pens so i could write on the metal oh yeah yeah all different colors sparkles everything (laughs) gold silver Um, i got a gold one so yeah that's there uh i like a clean photo i don't love when the photo has a signature across it i don't mind when it's on the mat but me personally, like my, my, I'm looking at photos right now. If you're wondering why I'm looking up, but I just <laughs> darting like the, around, <laughs> I just like the look of like a very clean 
non-distracting thing. So I don't mind a message on the back. Um, that's my stance on it. I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't reflect it myself. I'm reflecting now as like, um, Oh, I'm not, I'm not worthy of this art or like, I don't, who am I to sign this? No, I, that's not really what goes through my head. It's more of like, uh, I don't want to, if they're putting this on their living room and it like matches, I don't want to like a huge gold signature through, to me, that's a little, to me, feels, and it could be imposter syndrome, I guess. I don't know, but a little egotistical, like I need to sign this so everyone sees it versus for me, I like to sign the back. Like, thank you so much, Aaron, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's my take. I don't know if it's right or wrong. Um, mm. What do you think? I have similar opinions. So I'll actually, so all my fine art on you know nice photo paper, mm-hmm. I will sign and I will date them or addition them rather. So I'll do that with pencil and I'll leave uh, gaps right around the mat so that I have mm-hmm. space to do so. I'll do that, especially and get it really nicely framed. I just feel like that completes the whole look of what the person wants mm-hmm. as opposed to my, I don't print metal. I print canvas. Mm-hmm. That's very much a, you can put a nail on your wall and hang it up. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's very, it's not meant to be as eloquent, Right. I think people who are buying a nicely framed print matted on professional photo paper printed at a lab want the full experience Mm -hmm. and the small signature doesn't matter. And I'm really proud of the piece. So I'm happy to do that. I don't sign my canvases because also because if you're signing, I feel like limited editions, it doesn't make sense to just sign an unlimited run. I have signed canvases before. It's actually a funny story. So I had uh, a friend of mine buy, I think it was three canvases, really big ones, like 24 by 36. And um, so I, I gave them to him and he goes, he's like looking at them and I'm like, something wrong. He says, they're not signed. And I was like, oh, like, you want them signed? So I had to go buy a Sharpie and like sign them in the back of his, on the back of his car. Cause that was really important to him. It was really important to him that there was a, an actual connection beyond something that you could essentially print an infinite amount of times and anybody could hang in their home. It was like, I want you to sign this. So that was kind of an eye opening moment for me. So sometimes I ask, would you like me to sign it. I don't usually sign canvas. Would you like me to sign this? Because some people like the look of canvas, mm-hmm. but also really want to, that's my personal item or personal touch. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So in the sense of the photo pa- photo paper and framed prints with the matting, that's artistic expression to me. Cause I just think it, it's the icing on top. And then I don't sign canvas because I don't like the way it looks, but I ask in case people want that feature, not because Mm -hmm. there's ever any creative insecurities that I really don't understand. If you've gone, if you've come so far to print your work, 
you are proud enough of it to print it? What does it matter to go the extra mile and put a little signature if you really have the desire to? Yeah. If you have, if, if you got the desire, do it. I like the idea of like asking the person. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want you to open this and go, ah, freaking signature in the corner. It does also open the door for them to be uncomfortable and say, <laughs> cause they, I guess yeah. they ultimately, uh, they ultimately say, no, I don't want you to sign it, which is kind of rude, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want people to know it was you. Maybe a better way. I'm trying to think of a better way of phrasing it. Do you prefer the signature on the front or the back? Because that it's kind of a nice way to be like, don't ruin the front. We got to do some, uh, some TPM artwork. Yeah. Did you get, did you see that? I just want to shout out, um, someone real quick. Yes. Monkey and Fox. Did you get that? Oh yeah. I just read that today. That was awesome. That made my day that caption. Um, so we just want to say thank you and shout out to your, um, your handle monkey and Fox. Um, yeah, it's really, really nice and, and genuine and a great photo of a, a rabbit. Your first kind of wildlife seem like, or like new to wildlife, but giving that a try and, and really enjoying the podcast. So we do appreciate that and, and the shout out. So thank you. Nice. Are we going with that for the cover art? We probably damn well should, I guess. All right. <laughs> Right, Philip Johnson, going. Monkey and Fox. We're going with that. That's the first wildlife photo. That's pretty damn good for a first wildlife photo. Yeah, right? I'm excited to see where, where those shots go. Yeah, me too. Got a lot of cool <laughs> stuff. I, I like it. And I'm, I'm glad he found us and I'm glad he, uh, yeah. he enjoys it. it uh, I don't know about you, but it's, it's awesome when people take the time to write a caption or a story post or a direct message about what they've gotten out of finding the show just because you know, it doesn't, it doesn't stroke the ego in a sense of yay me. It strokes the ego in a sense of thank you for validating my sense of purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And it becomes real uh, where it's like, oh wow, people are actually hearing this. Yeah. You have some imposter syndrome with that. I no, but no, I, I don't. I just forget. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking oh, you to you. Forget, you forget like you're talking to nothing. Yeah. I feel like I'm talking to you and then. Well, you are. And I, I know our, I know our, like our, our fans that listen often and, and comment like the regulars in a sense, mm-hmm. uh, the VIP club, if you will. But then when there's like a new one that says like, Oh, I just found this and this is what it's done for me and stuff like that. It's like, Oh wow. That's really cool. And let alone they're, you know, if they're from a different country or halfway around the world, it's just very, I think it's very neat. It's very humbling, but to Absolutely. your point, it keeps us going. So this is episode 160, it. man, 160 Holy. weeks in a row. The stroll or the, the stroll, the street the continues stroll. to roll on is what I was going to say. It's just a combo of it. You're efficient. Yeah. Stroll. stroll on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And again, uh, if you if you kind folks like what you're hearing, it means the world to us to uh, drop a rating or a review. You can do that easily on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, helps people find the show better. Helps add to our sense of purpose. Um, and we always have a PayPal donate link button in the episode description if you feel 
like donating any amount you feel is equal to the value you receive from these episodes. Of course, we'll always do them for free and we don't want to push that on you. But should you choose to do that, you have the option to do so. Um, congratulations to Monkey and Fox. Awesome photo of a rabbit. Thank you for the kind message. Aaron, it's always been a pleasure. You too, uh, bud. Or Aaron, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, even though I just saw you. Um, yeah. This past weekend. Congrats on a great weekend. Thanks to everybody who attended. It was awesome. And uh, now, other than focusing on the next one, that uh, retreat in Jasper in, uh, in July, Jasper and Banff, which is going to be epic. Epic. Absolutely epic. Until next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs>